so welcome back to the Birdie Bug Pod. Episode 8. Yes, it is. Yeah, and it's been a little while since We're we've been We're getting towards double figures. I know, it's exciting. I don't think that will happen before 2023, because we've got Christmas in, in the middle. But it might do. Might be oh we could do a Christmas episode actually. Oh we, we could we do, do a some, Christmas like, episode, Christmas quiz or something. Yeah, that'd be fun. We'll do a festive episode nearer nearer the time, and then maybe our tenth episode is the first episode of twenty twenty. That sounds like a plan. Right, so a little bit of catch up. Yeah, I haven't got too much because of work and various other things, but my only catch up really news is uh, I've been doing this little walk. Um, from my house down across a local field and down to a little river. And I do this little walk probably too many times in the week. Four times a day, isn't it? No, it's not four times a day, but it's probably once a day. And I keep bumping into people uh, walking down there saying, oh, have you seen the kingfisher? And for two years I've been doing this and never seen the kingfisher. I remember they did it when we went and you you mentioned that people always tell you that it's just around the corner. Just around the corner. We've never seen him. Anyway, I've now been searching for the kingfisher and now been falling over him i've seen him probably five days running but i can't get a picture i was gonna say i don't him. think i've seen him on your insta no i i've he's he's taunting and teasing he's camera me. shy and the other day i was i walked uh going left i normally go right as i as i hit this little river and i normally walk down the right hand side and today i went left and there's a little bridge and i went across the bridge and the other side of the bridge sitting in a tree there's this little blue shape and i thought oh my god there he is lifted my camera just about to take a picture get him in focus and a car went across the bridge and that was the end of that and he went like a little blue and orange missile went down the river and i never saw him again <laughs> that is difficult. but it's really lovely to see this kingfisher especially locally um, you don't have to go sit and hide or anything and he now i know there. he's there i will get him it's <laughs> very sinister so it was a bit sinister i mean i'm going to shoot him obviously yeah. but by through my camera you know, sh- yeah so uh yeah so that's about all my exciting news uh, i've got a little black cap coming in the garden which is always unusual to see but always exciting so my catch-up really always revolves around around birds um so yeah, that's me. That's me done. So cool. You've got. A I few actually things. have an update for a change. That does um, make a change. I haven't been out taking photos. My Instagram is looking a bit sparse at the moment, um, but I did go to TetzuCon, um, which is Tetrapod Zoology Convention. Of course, it is. Um, it's relevant. Birds are tetrapods, so <laughs> tetrapods are essentially four-limbed I wish animals. I come with you. Being tetra, being four, and yeah. pod being limb or leg or foot i don't know yeah and it essentially has a podcast um called the tetzu podcast where they chat and it's mainly dinosaur related it's mainly like um extinct and paleo stuff um and they've had a convention for i think eight years and sean who gets a lot of mentions on this podcast sean and i have been meaning to go to sean, this... get on here mate come on <laughs> been meaning to go to this convention <laughs> for a long time and this was the first year that we managed so it was just two days of talks about dinosaurs and pterosaurs and stuff nice. which is cool and the little fact that i thought i'd bring which isn't a bird or a bug um but it was about a platypus and there was a whole talk about why platypuses are the best animals on the planet and we should stop calling them weird and they're just awesome but they're obviously the only venomous mammal well i didn't, I didn't know that yeah they've got a little spine the males have a spine on the back of their leg um and i actually have two facts about it first of all 
I'd never heard of seasonal venom, so they are only venomous uh, in the mating I'd season. I'd never heard of that either. Which is cool. So These be- are, oh, this is good stuff. Yeah, it was a good talk. So they become venomous uh, during the mating season, and the venom can actually still be impacting someone's life if you were to be, a, you know, get stung. I guess it is a, or stabbed by it. Uh, like 14 years later. Wow. So it's not like a you you get. So is this stuff you already knew, or did you no, learn I didn't. that? I went to a, a. It was a talk. The first talk I went to called Platypus Matters. Uh, it's actually a book, so I do a little plug. I can't remember the guy's name, but he's got, he's got a book. Well, called you can put a link Plat- on at the Platypus end. Platypus Matters, because everyone will want to yeah. read that. And it was a whole talk about why they're the best animal on the planet, and some just really cool stuff That's about it. And I had no cool. idea about seasonal venom or how long it lasted. Or the fact they don't have teeth, it's just bony ridges in their mouths. I learned a lot about platypuses. You have, haven't you? Yeah. <laughs> but it was good it was a good convention. Got to do some paleo art and I can't draw, so that was interesting. I did see your picture and it was a little bit um It wasn't what, good. What should we say? It was How childlike. should we describe it? <laughs> I wanted to say childlike and then I thought that might be a bit offensive. I was sat on a table with some of the best paleo artists in the world. Were you, were you and, um, under pressure? <laughs> I, I didn't put it up for judging. <laughs> But the the people's choice was one done by a child. And I feel like if I'd put mine up, maybe it would have won because they thought it was a kid. And then I would have had to have it. looked a it. bit like something out of the Flintstones. Yeah, it was good. It was better than I was expecting. <laughs> but yeah, it was a good, that was my update. TetsuCon. Cool. Well, really that's some cool stuff. The podcast has sort of tailed off since um, they've both been busy. But it's still worth a listen if you like sciencey things about yeah. tetrapods. Lovely. That's okay. Really. Well, that's... Um, I think that's about it for the catch up, is yeah, it? Yeah, it's nice that I can actually. I've been out of the house for a change. Nice that you've contributed to the catch yeah. up this time. Yeah. Okay. So, so on to the topic. Yes, let's crack on. Right. So this week we are chatting. We've gone back to a slightly more environmental because we've done a few animal related ones recently, and uh, we'll be talking about peatlands, which is why I want to call this episode "For the Love of Peat" or, or Pete's sake. "For Pete's Sake." Yeah. yeah. So, something along those lines. Yeah. And we're just talking about why they are environmentally important. Um, what it is that we do that damages them and how we can try and, and help them, really. I like this subject because it's probably a subject that, you know, is not so much in the headlines and no. the, and, and in people's uh, uh, reading matter. So I think it's a really good subject. Yeah, and I didn't learn too much. I didn't know too much about, about it until I did my master's project on sphagnum and it sort of forced me to learn about peatlands and then... It was one of the first articles, maybe the first article I wrote on more science. And so it's a topic I like a lot. Yeah, no, that's good. I I mean, my uh, history of peat really is only from a growing garden. And drinking whiskey. Maybe drinking whiskey, but we'll get to that (laughs) later on. So where do you want to start? Well, we should probably start off with what a peatland is. Well, as you've done a science-y project on it um off you go okay well it's interesting actually because they're the a peatland or peatland is not particularly like clearly defined like it varies slightly um depending on where in the world you are but the general trend is it's an area where the rate of vegetation production outweighs that of its decomposition right so it means you get a big build-up of sort of half decayed plant matter yeah which is then called peat it's spelled p-e-a-t um and so they're typically quite boggy uh characteristics are low oxygen quite acidic the soils aren't very um nutrient dense yeah sort of waterlogged environment yeah, isn't it most of the time mm. and so the, your the other term is a peat bog yeah um and things like that so yeah quite water saturated or a mire or a mire 
Um, but the the key defining feature is the fact that vegetation accumulation is greater than decomposition. Uh, yeah. yeah, decomposition. Okay. Yeah. So you, in the UK, we get them especially up in Scotland. Yeah, Scotland's and Ireland. got huge, um, lo- very large areas of yeah. peatland. Um, and you get them across sort of northern Europe as Blanket well. Blanket bogs and yeah. what have you, yeah. Um, one of the most prominent species is sphagnum yeah. mosses. Um, and they are, I'll go into this a little bit more when we get to the environmental segment of this this episode. They are one of the reasons why peatlands are so precious, essentially. Yeah. It's a bit of interesting chemistry coming up. <laughs> interesting chemistry. <laughs> so stick around. Yeah, and they're, they're um, you know, they take a long time to form. Yes. And they apparently they accumulate about one millimetre a year. Um, but some of the peat bogs, uh, particularly in the UK, have been accumulating for over 10,000 yeah, years. Yeah. Some of them are very old, 10 metres deep. So um, that's one of the things about peatland is it takes a long time to form. Yeah, it's, it's sort of a similar sense, or maybe on a slightly smaller scale. Um, when it comes to things like chopping down ancient woodlands, you can't just plant a you tree just replace and them suddenly you've mm. got it back. It, it, the, a lot of their value comes from thousands of years of accumulation yeah. and building up so it's what again we'll get into that in the environmental part but that's one of the reasons why they're so valuable yes because they're very old very old um but despite this we have had throughout history and uh, you know today as well quite a lot of uses for peat uh that sort of clumpy decayed plant matter is quite is quite useful well yeah i mean i think the one of the biggest uses obviously is in the horticultural industry yeah. for growing You'll as, find as it a growing in, yeah, substrate. compost and um and also for improving soil, um, you know, I've used it a lot. I grew up, my dad was a commercial grower, so I grew up with my hands in, you know, in plant pots full of peat, uh, yeah. in greenhouses and, and what have you. Yeah, so. so it's very good at holding moisture. So 20 it, times its own weight, oh, that's apparently. Good, yeah. It was, yeah, uh, actually on that, my, my research project involved extracting DNA from sphagnum. And because sphagnum is 80% water, it was an absolute pain in the ass. I don't yeah. know if I can say arse on this podcast. Of course you can. It was um, not as bad as what we said in the last true. one. So, so yeah, they, they because of that, they're often used in like sandy soils to yes, stop they, it from being they, too dry. Yes, it increases the water retention yeah. in sandy soils, and it's also um, aerates and improves heavy clay soils. Yeah, because it's quite spongy. Yeah, very um, spongy. Like sort of multi-layered. Uh, you're also actually talking of the water content. It's a bit of a niche use, but people who keep exotic pets, be it reptiles, amphibians... Um, you buy tubs of sphagnum and peat because a lot of those animals need high humidity. Oh, okay. So you stick it. There's normally one half of an enclosure that contains either a, a peaty compost or just clumps of sphagnum just to keep it humid in there. So oh, okay. it's a bit of a niche use for yeah. them. I mean, obviously, the other the other big use, um, not only in this country but across the world, is in as a fuel. So yes. it's used yeah. as an alternative to wood. Um, you get like bricks of it, don't you? Yeah, you, you do. Can burn it. Particularly in the Scandinavian countries and Ireland. I was going to say Ireland was a big peat. Well, still, well, still is. is a big peat um, consumer. Yeah, absolutely. And so it's used as a fuel um, yeah. in in huge quantities. And so, apparently also for um, water filtration in fish tanks was another well, cool it's one. It's a very good filter of water. Yeah. And in fact, it's another use uh, of peat. Seventy percent of our drinking water in this country is filtered across peat yeah. land. And what that does, it filters it so well that the water companies don't have to 
do all that filtering themselves and cleaning the water because if they you know the water is clean naturally yeah. through peatland and it's really really important for that 70 percent well, of uh, our drinking yeah. water is filtered across peat there's a and so there's two things about that first of all it's great for rivers as well so healthy peatlands a bit like healthy soil if you've got agricultural water running off in the rain that contains uh, phosphates and nitrates and things like from herbicides and stuff yeah. which would get into the water and cause eutrophication which is like algal growth and then that kills everything in, in the river soils containing uh with lots of trees and stuff or tree roots do the same thing but peatlands better it will remove those pollutants and yeah. so a bit like it cleans our drinking water if water is running through a peatland into a river you're much less likely to have a heavily yes, polluted river. Yes, which is obviously river. really good for the fish and the wildlife yeah. in the river. So, And a lot of that comes from sphagnum has a antimicrobial properties. Um, I think in World War One or Two, one of the wars, uh, they used to use them in bandages because they actually are great for As wrapping a up. poultice. And, yeah, essentially. <laughs> Is that the right word? Poultice. Poultice makes me think of a paste, but sent, yeah, they just they contain. Again, I will get into the. I like the word poultice. Fascinating chemistry <laughs> um, about the fact that yeah, they are like antibacterial in in right. as a plant, which is which is quite cool. Which is very cool. Um, which obviously a lot of plants yeah. have that medicinal um, uh, uh, quality, don't yeah. they? So, uh, so yeah, the water filtration is a big thing. Yeah. Um, one of the again. I'd say niche, but it's a big industry and one that we are very fond of is also for whiskey production. Um, it's used, obviously, yeah, in the whiskey uh, for smoking malt. Yeah, so malt we, in, if in we like, like people who like Isla whiskies, a little island off the coast of Scotland, famous for producing very heavily peated whiskey, it just means that during the malting process when the barley is dried, yeah. they do it through burning peat. Yeah, do you know, and it's the little, smoke. I've got to tell you this little fact, and I don't even know whether I can pronounce this properly but what they do when they're drying the malt the malt is laid over a perforated floor yeah and then they they burn peat in an open fire underneath that floor so what that happens then is the smoke infuses the malt with compounds and there are three compounds that the phenols malt. there are phenols guaiacols and syringols hmm. I don't I know whether I pronounce those properly, but each one of those has a different characteristic of how it it, it um, flavours yeah. the malt. And phenols have a medicinal note, guaiacols have woody notes, and the syringols have sweet, spicy notes. Mm. So, so Lafroig what... must have a lot of phenols. Yes, and lagavulin as well. Uh, so. Yeah, actually, I, yeah, the same with coffee. Phenols are yeah. quite. Uh, prevalent in coffee so as well, it's but... used quite a lot in the in the whiskey yeah. industry although having read about that they would argue that it's a very small in comparison in comparison yeah. to horticulture and fuel it's a very small usage yes. of peat but it so is i won't feel too effect. guilty about about the whiskey but you do you can buy unpeated whiskey uh, and then you can go the whole other way where octomore make the most heavily peated whiskey in the world and apparently it gets to a certain point where it tastes horrendous Oh really? Yeah, it gets that way. They're almost doing it for the PPM, which is peat parts per million uh, number, sort of as an accolade. And people say it does reach a, a point where it's actually not nice anymore. Oh, okay, um, well, I love a smoky either whiskey. Yeah. I've got to be honest, but it's not good for the environment. No. So, so, so yeah, we use them in we use peat in in quite a variety of ways. Which, when they are valuable for the planet, 
is not great. You're turning your page. Did you have any uh, any other little facts you wanted to throw in oh, before I've I moved on? I've got quite a few facts, but most of them um, re- sort of re- uh, refer to Pete as a carbon store. Yes, so, well, that's okay, because I was trying to segue into the environmental one, and it would just have to be less smooth now. So mm-hmm. this is the environmental section of the podcast um, <laughs> about why they are so valuable um, to the planet rather than just as to us as a fuel source, uh, why yeah. they're so massively important environmentally they only they only cover three percent of the world's land surface four to five percent of the land surface three percent four to five yeah four you've got four to five have you okay so let's say they cover less than four to five percent of the world's land surface but they store twice as much carbon as all of the world's forests combined 20 percent of the land-based um carbon is stored in in peatlands. Yeah, it's incredible. Is, it's incredible carbon sinks. Yeah, it sort of shows their efficiency of of, store, yeah, of carbon definitely. storage. Um, However, what that does mean is when they are unleashed, extracted. Yeah, they're very bad. Yeah, and I've, I've got <laughs> that approximately fifteen percent of the world's peatlands have already been drained. Yeah, um, which obviously releases copious amounts of carbon yeah. dioxide into the atmosphere. It's in a similar vein to cutting down trees and burning them tearing out peat is yeah. is not good um i think i've got here i mean i don't even can't even get my head around this stat 31 million tons of co2 have been released since 1990 due to the extraction of peat isn't that just in the uk as well yeah yeah so bear in mind there's also peat across scandinavian countries south america now I don't know what thirty million tons of CO two might look like, but it's... I think I saw, and I don't think I've got it written down, but it it is more than the equivalent across that equivalent time span. All of our transport. So when when we're yelling oh, okay. at cars that, and that, planes, that gives a better idea of. I might I haven't got that written down, so that might be wrong. Right. But it's it, it's a lot. Yeah. Um, it's a lot. Nothing else. So would you like? A little bit of chemistry. I'd about love a bit of chemistry. Why they're such good carbon sinks. And you'd love a bit of chemistry. I would. I had to do this in my thesis, not well, my dissertation. So, so I'm I going to be very you... quiet here and let you do the chemistry. So bit. I will make you um, have to suffer through it as well. No, uh, get on it. So what I was going to say is interesting is sphagnum is the predominant species in peatlands. And you might think that's because it's a good environment for sphagnum to grow in. But the interesting part is sphagnum literally engineers peat bogs. It makes peat bogs right. for itself, yeah. essentially. And uh, I don't know it well enough without my notes. But essentially, I think, as I said at the start, their common sort of characteristics are high acidity, low nutrient in the soil. Um, it's quite dense, and so uh, it's not very good for like having nutrients like permeate through the layers and, and things like that. And so essentially, all of these really horrible characteristics are not good for other plants yeah and so sphagnum thrives and sphagnum contributes to that due to its well it's called sphagnum acid which is its own phenolic compound which i will give you the special name for if i can do this right you're ready sphagnum acid is actually called p hydroxy beta carboxyl methyl cinnamic acid you feel that's not the name of that welsh train station <laughs> I'm not going to try and pronounce that. <laughs> um, so essentially, phenol oxidases uh, are responsible for important parts of the nutrient cycle that sort of circulates carbon and, and yeah. nitrogen through our environment. 
Um, and phenol compounds stop that from happening. Right. So they inhibit these enzymes, which means that the carbon can't be cycled through, which is why it builds up. And sphagnum acid is a compound produced by sphagnum, yeah. and it stops this nutrient cycling. And um, by doing that, it creates the buildup of peat, which then makes things more acidic, lower nutrient, lower oxygen, which then means sphagnum can keep growing right. and plants just can't really thrive there. Um, it's also one of the reasons why sphagnum has that antimicrobial property, because a lot of these compounds that are used in decomposition and nutrient cycling are produced by bacteria and fungi and things ah, like that. Okay. And it inhibits the, those bacteria. So that's one of the reasons why it's sort of antimicrobial um so as like a real one line explanation the inhibition of sort of these phenyl oxidase enzymes and the bacteria uh which are key for cycling all of these nutrients yeah. is inhibited by phenolic compounds right. produced by sphagnum and it's actually got the the nickname the enzymic latch on our carbon stores because it's just like one little step uh, okay. that if you remove all this carbon is, yeah. is released yeah. now one of the problems is climate change which we come back to quite a lot but as we've seen this year droughts become a bigger problem as the planet warms up yeah now drought changes the conditions in a, in a bog because there's less water yeah and that essentially breaks that latch and causes that um it essentially breaks that latch allows bacteria to flourish carbon cycling to happen more and bogs will just release carbon yeah. into the atmosphere atmosphere and uh what's really interesting is the drought period is bad but when it rains after a drought that problem escalates because it then starts messing around with the chemistry even more. So it's not even like once the drought is done, we're safe. The re-wetting, as they called it in the in the paper, um, then accelerates this problem as well. So it's a very delicate little... It's a fine latch. balance, yeah. yeah. Uh, if we start messing with, it essentially impacts the concentration of these key compounds and then carbon is just released from, from bogs. Yes, and I, I have got a little fact there saying losing just 5% of UK peatland carbon is the equivalent to the whole annual greenhouse gas emissions for the uk yeah so just five percent losing that peatland carbon that you're talking about there is being released yeah that's how significant it is yeah so it is it's something that needs protecting a bit like our forests yeah and i think this is the key point especially for, for us doing this episode and and why research is ongoing is you hear so often about why we need to protect our the world's forests. They store all this carbon. We need to protect the oceans because they store all this carbon. And, and they do, and they do need protecting. But you so rarely see in public media, we need to protect our bogs. Yeah, and do you know there's an irony there because I've been reading about the fact that um, there was a government initiative 20, 30 years 1990. ago to uh, increase the timber that's being produced. So right. what happened up in Scotland is that large areas of peatland were drained and planted with non-native species of trees to create this timber industry and so that was really a that was obviously very bad for the peat extraction but also they discovered and it took a while because when you plant a tree it takes a while yeah they discovered that the trees grew really really badly and now 
the flip side of that now is with the um, the awareness of how important peatlands are they're trying to reverse that so the trees now are being cleared and they are trying to restore bad, those peatlands <laughs> to how they were originally yeah. so if they'd have just Left and the government alone. now is spending more money to do that so that's a bit of an irony that yeah and it, yeah it's, it's it's one of those things where it's a it's being attacked from both sides now so not only do we still tear it out the ground and use it for horticulture and whiskey although we say small amount um and as a fuel we're also like peatland aside accelerating climate change and that's just degrading them naturally um and it is a proper proper little feedback loop there are two loops going on you've got sphagnum creating an environment that it's like that it likes that kills off the plants which makes it better for them so it's a nice positive loop there and then we've got the negative loop of climate change creating droughts which then makes the peatlands release carbon dioxide which makes climate change worse which makes well, more droughts which then makes the peatlands so it's a negative feedback loop in that sense yeah as well. absolutely and the other thing the bad thing about drying out or peatlands drying out is obviously they're they're they are very uh, prone to fire risk yeah you know because they, funny, they burn they're wet it burns really well <laughs> yeah. but that was one of the the, the dangers of drying out uh, areas of peatland yeah. so it becomes a fire risk and area. we haven't really we should have touched on it i guess in the introduction but it, that's a nice lead on to the fact that beyond our own sort of selfish purpose for either using it and protecting it for our, our, our own sake is they're also really important habitats massively important um, wildlife habitats yeah. um really for some very rare species of plants and i was looking and i didn't realize carnivorous plants like sundews apparently yeah i saw my um, first i didn't know about those till i started reading yeah. about if peat. you go to the new forest there's not necessarily well, there's a bit of like peaty areas but there's a lot of sphagnum moss and and that sort yeah. of thing and you do find sundews and they're beautiful and yeah. I, I sort of forgot that we had carnivorous plants but yes i had a, i well i didn't even know it was uh, a thing in and this yeah, country. i've got to be honest but they've evolved that ability to eat animals because they not they don't get the nutrients from the soil because it's nutrient poor. Yes. And so they have to find alternative sources for all the stuff that they need. Yeah, but which is why they, they are such flies. an important habitat for birds and snakes and lizards. Um, Lots of beetles love them. Swallowtail, butterflies apparently love peatland and bogs. There aren't a huge number of species that live there permanently because it's so yes. damp and... Hen harriers, but short-eared a, owls, there's all sorts of... Yeah, um, but lots of animals sort of visit and pass yeah. through and use them. Yeah, um, it's just it's a it's a biodiverse resource yeah. for all of those all of that wildlife and um, hugely important yeah, areas so for that. Alongside us wanting to protect and replenish them for from a climate change perspective, it's also just an important natural area that yeah. should get a bit more attention. Yeah, so no, people well, often overlook. You don't you won't see very many SSSIs that are peatlands. Um, there are a few, but but, oh, okay. not, not, but, but not, not like many. the number no. of forests and no. beaches. I mean, I think there are some fantastic, well, again, we'll touch on this a bit later, but the organisations like RSPB are highly involved and WWT highly involved in in the regeneration and the protection of, um, of peatland areas because of that habitat for wildlife it's so important internationally important yeah. some of the species we that, have a lot of it here as well yeah some of the species that are, are found across peatland areas uh, we are are internationally important so well we can we can move into sort of what the well, what we what the actions need to be yeah can i just do there's just one other thing that um 
that again I've sort of been highlighted as I've been doing the research is there an incredible preservation area for archaeology yeah because decomposition is really low yeah, not only for us discovering you know age-old plants that are that've been preserved and but also a huge amount of um of bodies have been found yeah. in peatland and preserved incredibly well there's one famous one in fact people ought to look it up to see the picture because the picture of this is called tolland man it was found in a peatland bog in denmark and he dated it from the fourth century bc and it was found in a peat bog in denmark and it was so well preserved initially it was mistaken for a murder corpse <laughs> yeah that is and incredible. actually if you go on and google tolland it's spelt t-o-l-l-u-n-d look up tolland man he's in a museum in denmark and his face is so incredibly preserved um, that it's well worth yeah it's all well worth seeking out because it's why. just an incredible you know ancient body yeah. that's been his skin his head whiskers on his face yeah, everything I mean, it's incredible if, uh, if all the bacteria that should be getting in there and eating dead matter yeah. doesn't function yeah. then things don't decay so it's a very, very they're very important areas problem is there's probably loads of those but we're going to have to oh, go yeah. and tear it all up yes. to find <laughs> I mean the, these these ones have been found accidentally yeah. as peat has been extracted, which of course we're saying we shouldn't be doing. Yeah. So. so we may, it may be at the loss of some fantastic ecolo- yeah. uh, archaeological yeah. finds. Yes, but, but for the sake of the anyway, planet, I just thought I'd throw that. Yeah, in that is because I think people should should have a look at that. It's incredible. So, so moving on to like, like you say, from the nineteen nineties, there was a push, um, but naff all happened, yeah. and we're seeing a lot more now, uh, especially from eco-friendly and environmental charities and and things like that one of the things i like about this topic is when it comes to saving the rainforest or saving the oceans those are we can we as we spoke about you can do things and you can help by your choice of of what you consume but i think i saw a fact that 60 percent of the uk's peak consumption comes from gardening enthusiasts yes, it does, yeah. so that's a massive it amount massive. so this is one of those few environmental issues where normal individual people make a massive difference yes and so by not by gardeners in particular obviously not buying peat containing composts and voting with their dollar or pound but voting with their wallet uh can push that stat way down hopefully yeah and i think actually to be fair the garden centers most of them now are on a big push to provide peat free um, products and, yeah. and it's more and more now when you go to a garden center it's you, you don't have to seek it out there are so many now that are producing yeah um, it is again a bit like a lot of eco-friendly things sometimes the alternatives are a tad more expensive but it's always that hope that the more people buy the alternatives the more the demand goes up well, and the cheaper well, they think... get things like coconut husk and yes yeah and things wood like, fibers yeah, are used and all sorts of things in place. or just plant native trees then you won't need it or you know create your own compost in your garden which is uh, which is even better there is a push actually that uh amateur use for horticulture of peat is going to be banned now by yes. 2024 i did see that i saw that from a wwt uh i think it was no it wasn't wwt it was the wildlife trust but it was an article from 2020 and they're like yeah. but we're actually getting quite close to that yeah now. which i guess that means you'll you won't be able to find 
uh, peak products yeah. in a garden centre. So that's a good thing. Which it takes on to the fact that one of the other things, if you're not a gardening enthusiast, the other thing you can do is support these campaigns. So you'll see hashtags. I think it's called in bogs, not bags. Bogs, not bags. Yes, I've so, seen that, something yeah. like that. And I think it is the Wildlife Trust that, that push that. Um, but when, when they're doing months of campaigning or petitions or letters or things like that, supporting those organisations who have a voice that can sort of make the difference. Yeah, I think there's a joint one I read about, which was Plant Life with RSPB, Wildlife Trust and Friends of the Earth yeah. are doing a campaign and they're, they're campaigning the government to, to cut down on the use of... Yeah. Um, horticultural peat the rhs which i think is the royal horticultural yeah. society do a lot and and again i can put the links in the show notes for for the people and considering the fact that rewilding your garden is still our most listened to yeah. episode there are there must be gardening enthusiasts yes. here all of these websites have multiple blog posts about how to go peat free and the alternatives and what you can do and how to do it cost effectively and all that sort of stuff so there's loads of information out there, there. is in fact the rhs site is a really good site and they they claim that they've never used peat for as a soil improver and they only use now peat for as a potting material for a very very small number of exotic plants yeah. that they um they grow so i think they put on when they do their nice like stunningly beautiful garden shows yeah. where they all do a whole obviously being very peat free sort of shows that you don't need it well they did they've done loads and loads of studies and there's good articles on the rhs site about the studies that they've done growing plants in and out of um of peat and then peat free materials and uh it's shown that plants grown in peat alternatives are as comparable yeah. as ones that have been grown in peat so you don't need to use peat yeah. at all so um, we can stick all those those links if people are still using peat and want to know the best way to phase it out of your gardening habits yeah um, i mean i'd thoroughly recommend trying to create your own compost heap but of course you've got to have um you've space got to have space and, to yeah. do that um, and and i think i mean you touched on it um you touched on it earlier sometimes i joke that enjoying a peated whiskey is a hole in my environmental morals but in comparison to a lot of these industries it is smaller it's less than one percent of all the uk's Um, peat, apparently if you want a statistic and then there's there's i guess a balance where if you go onto a lot of these whiskey companies um and articles about it there is a push to make it a more sustainable practice but at what point does that become greenwashing you're still using peat so, well, I think I think with the Scottish, uh, with the whisky industry in particular, they they have admitted that they can't stop using peat because the whole of their brand and their marketing and has been built on the fact that it's peated whisky. Whisky, yeah. but what they can do and what there's a big push and the Scottish government actually is, is being probably more proactive than the UK they government of, as normal, they often are. To be um, fair. Is that they are sinking a huge amount of money into restoring peatland yeah. as they extract they restore and they're conserving and they're creating new ones yeah, so exactly. all right the creation of new peatland takes is, a while to obviously build up takes a, a, the, a while the but what they're doing is they're they're um they're re-water logging areas they're uh blocking um uh areas where the water is is filtering out so yeah. they're they're creating trying to create new bogs and but the biggest thing is trying to restore as they extract. And that yeah. sounds 
not an easy thing. But the the Scottish government is doing a lot of work in that respect, yeah, and they're I mean, doing it in the respect because obviously the whiskey industry is huge. Is a huge industry, and of course you can find loads and loads and loads of non peaty smoky whiskey. She's like, Ireland's um, going to be in trouble. It's, um, it's Isla, yeah. But yeah, I mean, it's one of those things where it's always good to hear that they're they're trying, and it's going to end up being a bit like. And I'm sure we'll do an episode on it. For example, electric cars—they are not the solution to climate change, but they are in some respects better. Um, it's always a toss-up between: do we lose the entire car industry and people just have to not have cars? Or do we have to try and find a way to make it? Yes, because there's always a flip side, isn't there? Because there is electric cars side. obviously stops the carbon emissions. However, only at the source, because that's the. Fuel however, is the still... extraction of minerals yeah. f- to create car batteries is almost as bad. Yeah, so it's so, a topic for another another time. But it, it's one of those where it's it's another industry where do we either just say that's it, no whiskey, no peated whiskey for all of the rest of time, or do we have to accept that? It as a as a small yeah i think to i think the change. good thing about it is there's an aware there's much more awareness yeah. about it from a from a government point of view and they are they are they are taking action anyway there's definitely an argument to be had the fact that it's less than one percent and there's 60 percent is horticulture and yeah. that's not essential and so that's an easier change yes um, and, and used as a fuel source as well you don't need to use peat briquettes to to no put in your log burner you really get don't. coffee logs get coffee logs. The episode whichever number that i should be we haven't done that many i should know which episode coffee was yeah, I can't five i'm gonna say five uh, about coffee logs but but yeah i think that sort of summarizes the main things that people can do they just use more eco-friendly yeah and like i said there are lots of um campaigns whether the england p action plan you know, goes to goes on the schedule that they are actually outlining. I think that falls falls in along with this environmental plan. Yeah, that the, the environmental this twenty five year plan that they've got to protect I mean, our we can't we're our green spaces. Probably and our, already over our time limit, but considering the fact that we're supposed to be halving our emissions by twenty thirty, and we're about to open a coal mine in Yorkshire, I don't have a lot of. Hope. Yeah, that's that wasn't a good read this morning when no, I read about. But that. I, I won't. I won't rant. No, about that's that. maybe a, yet another another uh, issue I yeah guess, but uh, but another... if nothing else if you're not a gardening enthusiast um i hope it gives people a bit more of an appreciation of a bog because it doesn't raise the most attractive connotations the word bog and it don't nobody wants to walk through it because you get wet feet yeah. but the chemistry that goes on from sphagnum mosses is incredible the amount of carbon they store in such a small amount of land is incredible, is incredible. and they're so infrequently mentioned. Like I love forests and I love the oceans, but but and I'm going to plug my own article here. Back the box. Yeah, back the box. I I will. I stole quite a lot. I didn't steal it. It's my own my own work. I did take quite a lot of this research from that first article I wrote um, about bogs, and I will link that if people want to learn more yeah, about and, sphagnum. Yeah, you know, and as ever, there's as much as we talk about the bad things that are going on, there are really good organisations in the background that you don't really yet read about too much that are doing so much work rspb one of my favorite organizations on the planet they're doing a huge amount up in scotland there's a a vast expanse of blanket bog um, up in the highlands of scotland and they're doing a pioneering restoration project and they've even established a peatland science center of excellence the rspb and it's taken 20 years of work removing forestry plantations which we talked about earlier blocking drainage channels and restoring water levels. 
and they're, they're finally getting some funding and but the RSPB are doing this and have been doing this you know for a long time so there's always amazing organizations that have recognized the importance of these habitats and are working tirelessly they really yeah. are and beyond um, to 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 maintain them and conserve them and restore them and i think that's fantastic yeah and i was going to say along with obviously the uh the, the go-to recommendation of you can donate and support just especially with these slightly more niche topics if you are on social media most people are if, if you see the rspp or the, the wildlife trust posting about these campaigns just sharing it literally to the point even Definitely. if you don't have any like a big audience because I, I certainly don't, but hitting like and retweets in particular, just getting their little hashtags and their campaigns out there makes a huge difference when it comes to getting funding and, and being yeah. able to point potential partners to a campaign saying people care. And so even not even spending any money or, or anything like that, but just you know pushing their stuff so that when they're, desperate for money as all environmental charities are they can be like people care about this you can see yeah, it and of course on you can see that firsthand working for I the rivers it. trust yeah don't i see you? it so, now like just having yeah. some support on, on on the work that's going on yeah just means they can go to partnerships and governments and say look at the traction this picked up it's a simple fix people are talking about it give us some money yeah <laughs> and yeah. so just no, i think that's a good as a very as a free relatively low effort thing you can do to help not just with peatlands but any environmental charity yeah. just a bit of support yeah. on, on the campaigns is, is brilliant especially if you are a gardener again putting like your own spin on it and, and people people's putting their voice so it's not just the charity yeah. thing again it helps it's a very yeah. simple way of, of helping these causes definitely um which is what we always like to end on, like ways people can, can help. And obviously highlighting brilliant organisations, which more and more is just typically the RSPB, but there are loads of others. <laughs> we well, will... the WWT also, Wildlife obviously Trust being wetland areas. We and, mentioned the Horticultural yeah, Society. Um, and, and there's a lot of Friends of the Earth are all doing a huge amount of campaigning yeah. about um, about peat and how important they are. Um uh, wildlife trusts, all sorts of yeah. organisations, which we will put in the links at the end. So, um, and if if you want to read about bogs, read my um, article. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Go on to more science yeah. and read about bogs on it's, more science. It's, it's a lot about. There's quite a lot about sphagnum, and it is an incredible plant. But, so, um, anyway, we just thought we'd. Uh, that, I, I really enjoyed that because yeah. that's uh, again a, an, an interesting a, a, a subject maybe that people aren't so aware of, and I like maybe bringing the little subjects like that yeah. to people's um conscious yes me too is it we, consciousness conscience consciousness i think oh yeah that'll do yeah but there we go hope you enjoyed the episode and i i would like to say that we'll get something relatively festive out before yeah we will christmas thanks thanks very and, much uh, for listening yeah, and yeah for listening. we'll catch up with you at christmas time and see you in the next episode yeah thank you Bye-bye. bye bye <laughs> Thank <laughs> you.